Hello and welcome to another episode of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. This week was the Yurtzeit, the angelversary of the murder of James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, and Mickey Schwerner during Freedom Summer in 1964, which is 57 years ago. So there was a bunch of talk about that. The same problems that they were confronting, the problems of police violence and voter suppression. The same problems we're confronting today. Lynchings take a different form. Voter suppression takes a different form. But we're still, unfortunately, confronting the same problems. And also, we're trying to build, rebuild that same kind of coalition. Two Jewish kids from Brooklyn and one black man from Mississippi. Same age, more or less, in their 20s. And we're still working on trying to create a multi-racial democracy in this country, though these many years later. So we are on 69A in Baba Batra in the uh, layout of the page that was popularized by the widow and the brothers Ra'im Ram in Vilna, low these 150 years ago. We finished with the Mishnah last time. And uh, let's just, I think we should probably just go over that. So that's the bottom of 68B. A mocharta, so that one who sells a field, mocharta, avanim shem it's a kanim shem karim shem one sells the stones which are needed for the field, and we'll get to that. That's what the Gemara is going to be talking about. And the uh, the the reeds that are in the vineyard, which are needed for the vineyard, and the Gemara will ask what that is. But and the grain which is still attached to land, meaning still growing, but chitzata or mechitzata kanim, according to the Gersot. Shehi pechutami beit rova, and a plot of reeds, which is on less than the amount of land that is a quarter of a sa, that produces a quarter of a sa'a of grain. And a hut, which is not made of mortar, or which perhaps is made of mortar, we talked about that last time. And the carob tree, which is not grafted, and the sycamore tree, which is no, whose branches has not have not been cut off, so it is still a young sycamore. But he doesn't when he sells the field. He does not include in that sale the stones which are not necessary for the field, nor the reeds which are not which are in the vineyard, which are not necessary for the vineyard, nor the harvested grain, but if the seller says, it and all that is in it, lo, it is all sold, however, in either event, in either event, the sale does not include the portion of reeds, which is more than a the amount of which is on more than the amount of land, which would produce a quarter of a sa'ah of grain, nor a hut, which is uh, covered with clay or mortar, nor the grafted carob, nor nor the trunk of a sycamore, meaning the sycamore tree whose branches have been cut off so that it can be better for lumber. So that is not sold. That is kept to himself. Okay, so now, the Gemara. My Abanim Shehem Litzorka. 
when he says in the Mishnah, the stones that are needed for the field, what does that mean? Targimu Avne Akva. Here, meaning in Babel, we translate Avne Akva. Now, Avne Akva is a, well, Avne is stones, but Akva is an interesting question. Sakalov says he doesn't know what it means, a not rare, modest admission. Because when he doesn't know, he doesn't know. However, Rabbeinu Gershom says that it is stones that are placed on sheafs or bushels of grain to hold them down. And that he takes it as if akfa is an afel word and comes from the word kafa, probably, to force. And others say that it is stones that are placed on the branches to keep them to so that they grow well or placed under the branches that they don't lean too much. Basically, it's hard to know what it means. And uh, we'll see that actually in a minute. We'll see how that is navigated in, in the, by the Rambam. So, but here, the important thing, here we translate stones that are akfa, stones that perhaps are used to, to weight down the bushels. And Ula says, rather, that they are stones that are set up for a fence like a stone fence. But do we not have a brighta of Rebbechiyah? We talked about Rebbechiyah's own collection of brightot that they are, and there he says, not sidurot, but sivurot, that stones that are piled up for a fence. Tzni sidurot. So now we should read it as sidurot, meaning that they are ordered as a fence. So, Going back to our statement here, meaning in Babel, they translated it as stones of akpa, stones that are perhaps used to, to hold down the bushels. Le Rabbi Meir dimitaknan afelgaf de la machatan. So Rabbi Meir, who says, now this is Rabbi Meir, who had previously said, or who says in, in the next parak, that if one sells, and this is according to the Rashbam, and also according to an interesting girsa in the Hamburg manuscript, which ha, which adds, right, who adds, and this is one who sells the vineyard, this is Rabbi Meir saying, one who sells the vineyard, sells all of those things which are necessary for the vineyard. Um, now, it's very easy to explain how they got into the uh, Hamburg manuscript. No, other manuscripts probably could have been a note, like on the side, like the Rajbam here says, the Rabbi Meir De'amar, Perak Bukharat Esvina, according to Rabbi Meir, who says in the next chapter of Babacha, Machar Kerem, Machar Tashmishay Kerem, one who sells a vineyard, sells all those things that are necessary for the vineyard, and therefore it's implied there that he comes to dispute with the sages. So here, that is the Rebbe Meir, right? So he says that even though they were, they were set for it, even though he had not placed them in that order, or Manchan, according to one of the gears out, they had not set them up. So he had had in mind, he had fixed them for that, but they had set, not set them up in order of offense, and the rabbis say, actually, that no, it has to be that he set them in order as offense. So Rabbi Meir is talking about the Avnei the Akfa, meaning that not for the offense, but put them on top of the bushels or just had intended them for the bushels. According to Ula, 
who says uh, that they are stones set out for offense. So there, Rabbi Meir would say that they were set up, that they were set for the fence, but even though they had not been ordered as a fence, uh, they had not been constructed. The Rabbanan who decidran, and according to the rabbis, they actually were put in order for the fence, in order so that, because the rabbis there, so that that tracks from that machloket where he says, uh, Rabbi Meir says, if you sold a vineyard, you sell everything that is for the vineyard. And the rabbis say, no, not necessarily in here to here. Rabbi Meir is saying the larger, uh, the more expansive view of what is being sold. Okay, so I want to just point out a number of things. One is that the question of translation, the verb targimu here, or the noun targum, covers both translate and interpret, or render and interpret. And here it probably means translate, but it could also mean interpret. So for, we have further on in Bhavabhatra two different situations in which we find the verb targimu. The first is an interesting one. I just bring it because it's fun. But right, that God created the sea monsters or the great monsters in the first chapter of Genesis. And the comment there is Hacha Targimu Arzile Dima, Arzile Diyama. And here, meaning in Bavel, they are mitargim, which probably which seems to mean translate monsters of the ocean. Right, so it's straightforward. Followed by a Palestinian sage, Rabbi Yochanan, who's quoted saying, Ze Leviathan Nachash Bariach Leviathan Akalaton. And he says, This is the Leviathan, two types of Leviathan, the Leviathan who is a massive snake, or the Leviathan who is the Akalaton, another kind of mythic creature. So again, you have a statement, Hacha, and another statement from a, from a Palestinian sage. On the other hand, but there and here in this case, it seems to be a translation. What is Taninim Agdolim? It means sea monsters, or Arzile Diyama in Aramaic. On the other hand, later on in Baba Batra, that was on 74b, but on 168a, we find a that uh, the quote from two kings, Moreover, Menashe also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end besides the sin he had caused Judah to commit, so that they did evil in the eyes of God. This is dissing, or actually, you know, screaming at, ranting, condemning Menashe, the king of Israel. And then the Gemara says, with the comment on all this so much blood, Here, we are mitargame, and it's more interpret than translate, because he killed Isaiah, the prophet. So that's not a translation of any words in this verse, but rather an interpretation of the words in this, in this verse. Okay. What's interesting about the translation interpretation, just one thing, because uh, when you get to there are two times you have to be, you have to make a choice, either when you're translating in an ongoing way, such as the Rashbam, or when you come to Halakha. So we find the Rambam in Sefer Kinyan, in the section of Halachot of Acquisition, in chapter 26. So if one sells the field, together with that sale, one sells the stones that are put in order for, that were set out for a fence. And also the stones that are placed on the bushels because they are considered for necess- necessary for the field, right? That they are part of the field. So here what the Rambam does is he goes both ways. He gets you the Akpa, 
which he trans which he seems seems to translate as as those things that are laid on the bushels, and also the stirot legader, and also those stones that are are for the for the the fence, and includes both of them. And the Magid Mishnah, this doesn't miss him, and he quotes our Mishnah, and he quotes our Gemara, and he says, And the Machaber, the author, meaning Maimonides, decided the Halacha according to both of these opinions, because for the matter of law, both of them are true, and this is not a dispute. So where it says here, they translate, and then Ula says, there's not a dispute between the two, but rather the Rambam says, Rambam goes with both of them. All right, so let's go on a bit. Veta kanim shebakaram and also as we said the reeds in the orchard, in the in the vineyard which are necessary for the vineyard. Kanim maya videtayo. What are what do reeds do in a vineyard? Amrit be rabbi kanim hamechulakim shemamidim tachat hagifanim. So reeds that are divided, that are split, so that you place them under the vines and holding the vines up. Rabbi Meir says that, again, with more expansive definition, those that are smoothed out right, in order so that they can do that work of holding up the vines, even though he has not placed them there yet. And according to the rabbis, they have to be already placed, a narrower view of what is sold. Now we have another bunch of short stomach comments. And the grain which is connect, still connected to the ground. And these all these comments, the next three comments, all the gears the in the printed edition, they don't have it, but in the manuscripts they are preceded by a pshita la tricha. In other words, they're preceded by a what did you have to say? Pshita, what is that's that's obvious. Why do you have to add? What do you what is added here? So even if even though they were getting to the place where they would be harvested, they are considered still considered part of the the field, and therefore they're not sold. And the portion of reeds which is on a small plot of land, what do you need to what do you need to to add that to, it's obvious they're just little and they're part of the field. Even though they are strong, even though you have large reeds, but they're in a small plot of land, therefore they're still considered part of the field. And the hut, which is not covered in, in mortar. So that's obvious that that's sold because it's not independent even if it is not uh, attached to the ground, either kvia ba'ara or mechabra betina, right, when it is not attached to the ground or that it's not put together with clay. Okay. Betacharub no murkavet betulata shikma. These two are sold with the field, the carob, which is not grafted, and the virgin sycamore. Pshita, maitzricha. Why is this added, even if they look like they're strong, so therefore they one might think that they're independent, but they're not, since these these two, they're ungr- the ungrafted carob and the young sycamore. But one does not sell these stones which are not considered as part of the field, 
According to Rabbi Meir, these are those which have not been set and that you don't have any attention for them. And according to the rabbis, these are those which have not been placed down. But if they weren't placed down, right again, it's a, the, the rabbis have a much narrower view. So, and what about Ula? It says that they're talking about um, stones that were set for a fence, and those are the ones that are not that are not sold. The Rabbi Meir de la Mitaknan, the Rabbanan de la, those are sold because they are the Tzorah Hasadeh. So Rabbi Meir says that they are not, uh, that means that they are not, have not been set out, or, or you have no intention for them to be part of that Gader, uh, that fence, and, and the, according to the rabbis, that they weren't actually ordered as a fence. And not the reeds in the vineyard, which are which are not necessary for the vineyard. The Rimeir de la Meshafian, the Rabbanan de la Mukman. And according to Rimeir, that means that they were not smooth. They weren't smoothed out in order for it to be used. That means that they are not necessary. Um, according to the rabbis, that they weren't set up, that you didn't put them underneath the vines. Nor the grain which is harvested. And here too, the Gersot add Pshita, what, what, what are you adding here? Even though they are, they need the ground because you lay them out to dry them in the ground. And neither the portion, the uh, a plot, of of reeds, which is on the amount of land that it takes to produce a quarter of a sa'ah of grain. So what's that adding? Obviously, that's not part of it, even though they're small. Right? So those reeds are small, one would have thought. They're part of the, the land, but no, they're not. Amar Rabbi Chia Bar Abba, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Lo chitzat kanim bilvad, Ela filu arugak tana shel b'samim, V'yesh l'ashem b'fnei atzma, E'nanim karatima. We're not only talking about the a, a plot of, of, of reeds, but rather even a row of spices, and it has its own independent name, meaning it is an ind- it's seen as an independent entity, is not sold together with the field. Rav Papa says that only if they are known as these are the roses or spicy plants or herbs that belong to Plony, that belong to this person. And keep that in the back of your mind, because actually, according to the manuscripts, according to many of the manuscripts, this little piece, Amar Abba to Varda Laplanya, comes at the end of this, at the end of this page and not here. So that's floating in our minds for a minute. This week's episode is brought to you by MSU, the only app you really need. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in an argument and painted yourself into a corner because you didn't really know anything about the relationship between sports and economics or whether Bratwurst really had toxic plastic bits in it? But on the other hand, you would win that argument if you could only pull out that fact and state it with the certainty of a mediocre white guy. Well, now we have the perfect solution. It's the MSU app on your phone or off. Need a fact? The factoid? An alternative fact? Just reach for the MSU when you have to make stuff up. Okay. Uh, but we'll keep going, and the Gemara is just continuing to explain the mission. 
neither the hut, which is made from mortar, even though it is connected to to the to the ground. So one might have thought since it's connected to the ground, it's part of the field. No, nope, not part of the field. Neither the uh, grafted carob nor the trunk of the sycamore whose branches have been cut off. And even uh, if the um, even even if it is if it is small, still it is considered not part of the field. By Rebelezer, then we have three take. Now we have three takeu statements, which are not all that common. But here we have three, one after the other. By Rebelezer, Malbenotshel Ptachimau. So Rebelezer says, "What about the stones that are outside, kind of decorative stones, which are around the gate, around the doorway?" If they are attached to the doorway, to the doorway with clay, so then it's not a question because they are attached. What is your question? When they are attached, not with clay or mortar, but with sticks. My so then in that case, because it seems like it's attached, but it's not attached. They're removable because the sticks is not actually a permanent way of attaching them. So which are they? Are they part or are they not a part? Take So this will stand, meaning we have no idea what the answer here is. By Rebzera, So Rebzera says, what about the stones or the bricks that are around a window? Are you going to say that these are, since they're just for decoration, so then they're not considered as part of as part of the field or part of the, the opening? Or since they are actually attached, so then they're considered attached. Take a, once again, we, we leave that open. By Rabirmia, Rabirmia says, what about the uh, bricks or the, the stones that are put underneath the feet of the, the, of the bed? If they are, if they're attached in such a way that when you carry the, the bed, you end up carrying these blocks. So don't ask that, the Hamitatle, because they are moved, they're movable, and so therefore they're part, they're not part of the field. What is the question? The question is when they are not movable, when they don't move with the bread with the bed. My what's the halacha in that case? Teku. So in that case, we don't know. We have no idea in that case whether they're connected or not. Now, Teku is just a little um, excursus on Teku, very little excursus on Teku. Lord Rabbi Louis Jacobs, who is the chief rabbi of the British Empire for a bit interesting personality in and of himself, wrote a book with the creative title Teku, all about the various Teku questions. Um, and Teku is a question which is not really different than a regular Ibailu. Ibailu, as a technical term, means a question where you have a certain amount of information and then you add more information. Once you add more information, you change the halacha and you want to know what the new situation uh, how to decide the new situation halachically. That's exactly what these questions are. You know if they are, right? It's not a question if these 
bricks or blocks are attached with mortar because then they're attached. The question is whether or not, right? So you have a twist. They're attached, but they're only attached with sticks. They're not attached with mortar. Or they're attached with mortar around the windows, but they're only for decorations. So therefore, they're not an essential part. Or they are, these blocks underneath the bed are seemingly part of the bed and not part of, of the house or the land. So therefore, they're not movable, or maybe they are. All of these are questions which we're not going to answer here. We're going to leave them as teku. Lee Jacobs does not come to a conclusion about why some of these questions are takers and others are not. Now, one of the interesting things about this sugya, and then we'll get to the other interesting thing about the sugya, is that the only statement that's found directly in the Rishami in the parallel place here is the statement of Rabbi Bar Abba Amar Rabbi Yochanan there in the Rishami. It's chitzat kanim bilvad. Right, the, the edition of Rav Papa, who's a Babylonian sage, obviously is not in the uh, in the Palestinian Talmud, but that statement about the row of herbs is in the Palestinian Talmud. And it's interesting because that statement, even though here in our printed editions, both in the Vilna and also early, the earlier printed editions, of the Pesaro, is in the middle of the sugya, and it follows the Mechitzat, Lod Mechitzat Kanim Shibet Rova, which is talking about the the the, the plot of, of reeds, and this talks about the plot of reeds, so it fits in there. But according in the manuscript, it's at the end, right after the third Teku statement. And so the question is, what do we know about that, right? What do we do about that? And what does this tell us? And it tells us probably something about the construction of the sugya. None of these cases, none of these targimu statements are in the Yushami. There are statements that are similar to the Malbainim statement, right? The, the bricks. They're not parallel in terms of the sages that they are attributed to. And they're not exactly parallel in terms of the content, but they're kind of like they are sha'al statements in which there are just questions which imply an answer but don't have an answer in the Palestinian Talmud. And so this statement seems to come at the end. It's the only statement that's quoted halakhically by Al-Fasi that just commenting on the Mishnah, and this could have originally just been a comment on the Mishnah, where the Mishnah says, the Mechitzat Kanim, we have a plot of reeds, and then Rabbi Yochanan says, not just a plot of reeds, but also a row of herbs that was in that's in the Palestinian Talmud. It moved to the Babylonian Talmud, and then we see the way in which you had that because that trans- was transmitted earlier, and then they built up the sugya, and then they didn't know or they moved the place of this piece was was floated around, and so in most of our scribal tradition, most of our manuscripts, it ends up at the end of the sugya because the later, and that happens a bunch, that the later discussion pushes out the earlier discussion. But then at some point, somebody said, no, look, this also relates to and so puts it puts it back there in the beginning. And that's how we have the current sigya in the printed edition. Just wanted a, a little kind of excursus on translation. A targum is an interesting matter. To translate means both to render something into another language, but also to move it from one place to another, according to the Oxford English Dictionary. 
which was given to Moses at Sinai, of course. The first meaning, that is, to to render something into another language, is also fraught, as there are various schools of thought about translation going back to antiquity. Is the translator supposed to attempt a word-for-word translation or a sense-for-sense translation? Does the translator attempt to recreate linguistic choices that the original author made? or to recreate the same effect upon the reader that the original language had. Translation is an especially fraught topic in rabbinic Judaism. The classic case of translation is the translation of the Torah into Greek. The translation is called the Septuagint, the 70, the name itself conveying the mystery of this translation, whose story of origin contains 70 translators who, who sat in 70 separate cubicles and yet came up with the exactly, same, exactly the same translation. And even, according to rabbinic legend, the changes that each made in the translation in order to either avoid embarrassment or avoid what they thought perhaps was insulting the king, all those changes that they made were exactly the same. While the translation was lauded as miraculous, especially by the Alexandrian Jewish community, it happened in Alexandria, rabbinic Jews were not so jubilant, and they famously said that the day that the Torah was translated was as hard for Israel as the day that the golden calf was created. It is possible that the connection between the translation of the golden calf is that just as the latter, the golden calf, illegitimately concretizes a conception of God, so too translation concretizes a specific understanding of Torah, thus rendering Midrashic reading impossible. Translation, however, is also the peak diasporic expression. This is hinted at here in Aristogia in the modifier hacha, here, targimu hacha, we translate here. The movement of Mishnah to Babylonia and its inscription and explication is a translation both geographical and lexical. Sometimes, as here, explicitly pointed out, Targimu Chacha, and sometimes not. Though it is significant and unsurprising that the parallel sugi in the Yushalmi does not have these explanatory Targimu translating notes. Okay, and now we move on, and we're just about to turn the page onto 69b. Lo et charuv hamurkav lo shikma, and there's a somewhat surprising, v'chulhu, etc., at the end of that line, since that's the end of the Mishnah. Neither the grafted carob nor the trunk of the sycamore or the grown sycamore. Menahani mili. How do we know this? Where is this from? This is kind of a surprising question, though this is an is a regular question of the anonymous voice of the Talmud. Where do we know this from? Which is answered with a verse, but we've had very few of these in Baba Bacha. Amar of Yehuda Amar Rav, Yehuda said in the name of Rav, the Amar Krav Yakom Sedeh Efron Asher B'mach and the continuation of that verse is Asher Lefnei Mamre HaSedeh B'mara Asher Bo V'chol Eitz Asher B'sedeh Asher B'chol Gvulo Saviv. And that's when Abraham buys a plot to bury Sarah from Efron. And at the end of the deal, it says that the field of Efron, which was in the Machpelah, the, which is, seems to be a doubled cave, which was before Mamre, which is a place, the field and the cave in it, and all the trees in the field within all of its boundaries around it, surrounding it. So what Rob is taking from this verse is that those trees are sold that need a boundary 
which excludes trees which don't need a boundary. So what kind of trees need a border? Trees which are young and therefore their branches are low and therefore you could, anybody passing by could just pick their pick their fruits. Therefore you have a boundary line or a or even perhaps a fence line so that people can't walk over and just pick the fruit. This excludes from the sale those trees which are more mature and their branches are higher and therefore your average Joe can't just go in and pick the fruit off of the branches. Amar of Misharsha, Rav Misharsha, later Babylonian Amara, said, Mikan lemeitzarim minatora. So this could mean one of two things. Literally, it means from here, boundaries, this is the place that we know the boundaries are a deoraita, are a Torah obligation, because the Torah explains all the boundaries. In other words, you have to, and, and therefore, when one makes a sale, one has to explain what the boundaries of the field that one is selling is. Or the second possibility is mitzarim minatara means that when one buys or sells a field, then one is buying or selling the boundary lines, the boundary parts of the field, those five amot around on the boundaries of the field, which are then of this in-between status. Okay, Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Yehuda further said, Hai man mazban ara lechavrei one who sells a field to their friends has to write in the document, I am selling to you the mature palm trees, the talin, the middling palm trees, the hutsin, the small palm trees, vitsitsin, and the, the just sprouting palm trees, all, all of them. So when one writes a star in the star, one has to write all of these things. And even, however, if he doesn't write it thusly in the star, in the contract, it's still acquired, but, however, the better contract is with this statement in it. If a seller says to the buyer, land and the dikalim, land and the palm trees. So we say, we look and see if there are palm trees in the field. And if there are, so he gives him two palm trees because dikle is plural and the minimal plural is two. And if there are no palm trees, then he buys two palm trees for him, for the buyer. And if the palm trees that are on the field are actually under lean to somebody else, so he has to take them out of lean so that the person who bought the field gets them, because it said palm trees in the sale. Arabidikle. So now we're going to go into the technicalities, minor differences in language, which have greater implications a field and its palm trees, right? So a field with its palm trees, bidikle. Chazina, so we look, So we see if there, if the field has palm trees, so then he gets the palm trees, gives them palm trees. But if not, it is a full, it is a fraudulent sale. He gets his money back because he said the field and its palm trees. Ara beidikle. So, what if he says not bidikle but beidikle, which literally means a land 
which houses palm trees or something to that effect. Ledley Dickley, if it even if it doesn't have palm trees, because what he actually was saying there was that it is possible to grow palm trees here. It is good land for palm trees. If he says, I sell you this land, except for this specific palm tree. We look and we see, is this an especially good palm tree? And if so, then he just keeps back that palm tree. But if it's not an especially good palm tree, if it's not a necessarily a good palm tree at all, so he holds back that palm tree and all the other palm trees that are better than it. Because if he wants that palm tree, which is which he wants to hold back that palm tree, which isn't a really great palm tree, so of course he wants to hold back the palm trees that are better than it. Amarle, if the if the seller says Levarme Ilani, except for trees. So if he has trees, meaning trees and not palm trees, so then that excludes the trees if he has trees. But if there are only palm trees, so then it excludes the palm trees. If there are only vines, grapevines, so then it excludes the grapevines in this saying, Ilane, trees. Ilane vigofne levarmi ilane. If he says, I am selling to you in everything, excluding ilane, trees and vineyards, um, so then it excludes the trees. Ilane vidikle levarmi ilane. If there are trees and palm trees, it excludes the trees. Gofne vidikle, but if there are if there are no trees, right, non-palm tree, non vines. If there are just vines and palm trees, so then it excludes the vines, which are closer to Ilane, apparently, than the palm trees are. Amarav, Rav says, again, Any fruit which can be picked with a string is kept back. Anything that is above that is not kept back. Vidayane Gola Amri and Dayane Gola, which is Shmuel and Karna, who are two Babylonian sages who are sometimes called Dayane Gola. They said, Any fruit or branches which the yoke on the back of oxen which are plowing the field are bashed into and stops the the them from plowing, that is held back. But anything that is above that is not held back. And Rav and Dayane Gola are not actually in dispute because one is talking about Dikalim, which apparently are taller and therefore you need the rope. And one is talking about trees which are shorter and therefore we have the measure of the yoke on the uh, uh, on, on the oxen. Okay and this brings us to the end of our daf and a couple of lines. Thank you so much for joining me for this stuff. Uh, my name is Arye Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T as usual as always ongoing. I want to thank my wonderful producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon. Check out his podcast, Four Cubits, with the estimable Jeff Helmreich. 
Um, my thanks, of course, to my amazing Charuta Charlotte von Robert and the wonderful director of comms here at Dafshui, Shachar Cohen Hodos, who is responsible for the beautiful Dafshui logo. You can get in touch with me at the widow and the brothers at gmail.com. Um, it's been a pleasure being with you. Please tell a friend, bring them along next week to the Beit Midrash in the closet and seek some refuge together in the tent of Torah. Stay healthy, stay safe, be well.